Thanks. Thanks, Swazi. Morning, everyone. Uh, we're back. We're back in Mark after our break last week. So, once you grab a, a phone or a bubble or something, uh, I think the verses are going to be up behind me. We had we had power issues in the first service, so everything was a bit of a mess. But I think we're back to normal programming now. Mark, head to Mark chapter nine. We're going to be in verses 38 to 50 this morning. Um, before we dive into the verses, I just want to say something because um, some of you may be watching online, <clears throat> some of you here, uh, whether you're new or visiting, uh, or as a reminder for those who are regulars, uh, the passage that we're going to look at today is a great uh, example of why we uh, teach through books of the Bible from the beginning to the end. Uh, this is a conviction that we have as a church that we don't, you'll, you'll notice uh, if you've been around or you will notice if you stick around, uh, that we sort of go through whole books. We don't, I don't wake up on Monday morning and think like, what have I got in my fields for like Sunday and like topically, like go for something and then pull a few verses together and roll with it like that. Like <clears throat> we, we, we feel led by the Holy Spirit to pick a book and then we go through everything that's in that book and then we pick another book. And we go through everything in that book. And so when we get to the passage that I'm about to read today, which I, and I know some of you are thinking, what is this passage? Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, we, we, it's so that we don't avoid passages like this. We don't want to be a church that's like, oh, that's going to be awkward or uncomfortable or that's a bit tricky or difficult as a passage. Let's just, let's just let's have Psalm 23 this week. Uh, you know, like we want to dive into passages like this. So um, <clears throat> that's just a warning an encouragement, an explanation, <laughs> all of that before I even read the passage. Some of you are terrified. You think, you know, why did I come to church today? <clears throat> it's not so bad. Mark 9, verse 38. Uh, let's read uh, together here. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we try to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there's no one who perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor... How can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace 
with one another. Every Sunday, every time we preach, I always read the passage and then we pray. It's just a part of what we do. It doesn't matter who's prayed for me before, I always pray. And I was thinking about it and making notes this week about I'm working on a series, a mini-series for us on how to be a good church attender. So you heard some of that last week. And how to get the most out of coming to church. And so a new prayer that we're going to build into our rhythms is that you pray for yourself as you hear the word. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you one minute to pray for yourself. Say, Lord, speak to me. More than anything else I need, I need attentiveness. I need an open heart. I need open ears. I don't want to... I don't want to waste my time here this morning. Lord, I want you to speak to me. And whatever you have to say to me, give me grace to receive it and love me through your word. So basically, I've given you all the words that you need to like <laughs> muddle together in your prayer. You can use your own words. But I really encourage you to pray for yourself that God would speak to you. Because we all come in different conditions, needing different things. We all look at the same passage and God in his mercy speaks to us all in different ways. And so I want to encourage you, as I pray for us, that you pray for yourself. Lord, speak. I'm listening. I, I, I want to hear from you this morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, love, we love your word. We love the gift that it is to us. And we're so, we're so grateful that you are faithful to your, <clears throat> to your promise that you would send the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And we ask again now this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would come and teach us that through, through my words, we would hear your voice, that you would open up our eyes to see what we need to see and our ears to hear. And that, yeah, as we're praying for ourselves this morning, that our hearts would be ready to receive from you, uh, your word to us. Regardless of what it is, give us grace uh, to receive. Thank you that you strengthen us, you convict us, you transform us, you build us up and you, you make us new through the ministry of the word uh, borne along by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we look to you again and say, please, Father, would you again be faithful to do that amongst us this morning for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What do we see in this passage? There's two warnings and their consequences and one encouragement. So if you're a note taker, those are, that's the outline. Two warnings and their consequences and then an encouragement. So if you find it heavy going uh, through the warnings, just push through. Keep, keep going with me. There is encouragement uh, at the end. This is one of these passages that needs uh, not lots of explanation, but it needs us to deal with it carefully because it could be misunderstood. Uh, and I'll explain how this passage has been misunderstood by people who are way brighter than any of us in the room. Um, and the damage that that can do to you and to your soul. But this is a passage that we need to really wrestle with and, and hear what God is saying to us. So the first warning is about causing others to fall away. Causing others to sin. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. 
depending on the translation of the Bible that you use, I, I preach from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Many of you may use the NIV or the ESV or, I don't know, something else. Uh, the translation might say, might use the word sin there, not fall away or stumble. Uh, the CSB uses the word fall away. The word there is skandalon. That's the Greek word, is skandalon. It means, it's used in various ways in the New Testament, but it's basically a, a stumbling stone, something that you trip over. So it's basically saying, be careful that you aren't the person and you don't live in such a way that other people, you, you cause other people to trip. Um, the CSB is translated it fall away because it's not, it's not talking about a one-off incident here. It's talking about that you live in such a way that you cause somebody else continue to trip and sin, and they then fall away. You don't fall away normally with one sin. You fall away by repetitive behavior. And so that's the, that's the word that's been used here, we, and that Jesus is cautioning us, is that be careful how you live, that you don't cause another, uh, I'm going to explain this little one, to fall away. What, is Jesus talking about kids here? Or is he, what is he talking about? He's, well, let me, let me answer it. Not question time, it's sermon time. Um, he's, not, he's not talking about kids, okay? That's not to say that we shouldn't be especially careful of how we treat children and the protection that we afford them. I don't need to go on much about how much the church has taken an absolute beating in the public space around abuses that occur in Christian environments. And we should do everything that we can to make sure that never, ever happens in anything that we are ever near. Amen? Amen. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? We should do everything, and we should stand against environments where children are abused physically, sexually, spiritually. Amen. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about to the little ones who believe in him, are he's talking about immature believers. He's talking about little ones, people who are still finding their, their feet as Christians and who are easily influenced, you can live in such a way that the, you cause them to sin and to stumble and to fall away. And Jesus says, be very careful that you don't do that. And, he, and, and to make sure he drives his point home, he says, it would be better for you. How mental is this? It would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and have you tossed into the sea. There's only one outcome of that, by the way. Uh, a millstone uh, was, a, was a big stone. These things weighed a couple of tons. And, and it would have another stone. It was for grinding grain. You would attach that uh, second stone to a donkey. would go round and round, and it would turn that stone on the other stone, and it would grind their grain so they could make bread, and that's how it sort of worked. But the millstone is the big one. There's only one outcome of having a millstone tied around your neck and having you tossed uh, in the sea. Is the end of it. And Jesus says, it'd be better if that was your outcome than if you were responsible for the falling away of immature believers. He's not playing games um, today in this passage. This is serious stuff, and he's going to wind up. These were, the Israelites were, were land people. They had the fishing kind of crowd who cruised around on boats, but most of them were terrified of the ocean. Um, they, they weren't like a seafaring kind of people. When Jesus is using this imagery of them drowning, 
being drowned. It's, it, he's, he's driving this point home. This is like scandalous language that he's using with them. And he's trying to make a pointer very powerfully. It, it almost sounds like an episode of The Sopranos. You know, like concrete shoes in Emerentia Dam kind, kind of vibe. Like it's, it's just scandalous. You hear about that kind of stuff. It's like sheesh. Jesus is saying, it would be better for you if that was your outcome than if you were the one responsible for an immature believer falling away. Now, it was a second warning, and then I'm going to talk a bit more about how we handle these warning passages and, and why they're in the Scriptures and how do we find and navigate our way around these in the gospel? Because here's the bad news. I don't think there's a single person in this room who doesn't deserve a millstone around their neck and a trip to Emerentia Dam. I've been part of causing immature believers to stumble into sin, either through things I've done or haven't done. It hasn't always been intentional. I'm, I'm guilty of this. What, what, do I, what do I do? And I don't think Jesus is dealing with a one-off incident of this. So we're going to talk a bit more about how these warning passages work. But the warning still stands. The warning still stands. Be careful that in the exercising of your freedom, I think this is more in line with adding in what Paul talks about, in the exercising of your freedom and the way that you live, you don't cause an immature believer to stumble and to continue to sin. And that's just a warning. We should heed it. We should sense how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us and wards us off things and encourages us to other things and leave it there. The second warning is to stop ourselves from falling away. So he's spoken about how we live in a way that causes other immature believers. He says, be careful that you don't entertain things in your life that cause you to fall away. And he uses this powerful imagery. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, don't give your hand a talking to. Don't send your hand to therapy. Like, cut it off. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, gone. Your eye, out. I mean, this is like, men, like the, even as I explain the image, we were like, huh? And, and I mentioned famous Christians who've got this wrong. I, I think it was Oregon, an early church father. He took this passage so literally, they, he had himself castrated. Batting in the air of temptation, he had himself castrated because he read this and he thought, this is going to help me not to go down that road of, of acting out on this temptation. This is really important to understand the Bible well. Uh, otherwise, you end up doing stuff like that, which I don't think is what Jesus means. I don't think Jesus means that if your hand does cause you to sin, you should lop it off. I mean, we'd have a church of blind people without hands and feet. You know what I mean? I mean... Your eyes caused you to sin this morning. You would be, you'd all be staring at sun. I, I would be. We'd all be blind. He doesn't mean physically do that. He means that there are things in your life that cause you to sin, and you need to take radical action with those things. And if you don't, they have the ability to cause you to fall away, and you end up being thrown into hell. That's what Jesus is saying. This is, this is wild. And he uses three parts of the body, which I think are not by mistake. He uses the foot, he uses the hand, and he uses the eye. 
And I think he means every, some, some places you go, the things that you do, hand, and the things that you see. Those three areas of your life. And as I'm speaking this morning, as you've prayed for yourself, I told the guys at the 8 o'clock uh, service, if you feel conviction in any area of your life, as I'm speaking, as I go through some examples here, say a short prayer of thanksgiving to God that you are feeling heat this morning. Are you with me? Because it means that the Holy Spirit, it, it means A, that you belong to God. It means B, that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, that God hasn't given up on you, and that he's calling you back to himself. So you say a quick thank you God prayer that he is pursuing you and drawing you back to him. If you feel zero conviction in any area, it's time to get on your knees and say, God, would you please help me? Because I heard a sermon today and there was nothing in my life that I thought this pertained to. You are in serious trouble in that space. Hand, foot, eye. Are there, let me ask you some questions because these things are better reflected on um, over time and even maybe later today, you may need more time. Are there places that you go that cause you to sin? Are there places that you go, you know, most of you are young. Are there places that you go, you know that no, no good thing happens when I go there, that you need to stop going there? So you don't, you don't lop off your foot, you just stop going there. So you take drastic action to cut out visiting that place, that person, maybe. Maybe it's a person. Like the Holy Spirit's telling me, mm -hmm. some of you need to not cut the people out of your life, but you keep them, maybe some people need to be cut out of your life. But some people, you get together with them, and they don't encourage you towards holiness. They cause you to fall away. Just be very, very careful. Hand, some things that you do that cause you to sin. And I, this is one I want to major on, because I think that we've become such a visual generation and world that the amount of sinning that's potential, uh, that we're potentially able to and that we do through our eyes is unbelievable. And I, again, I'm not encouraging us to pull our eyes out. I want us to feel the weight of this. What, what are you looking at that is not leading you towards greater holiness? It's desensitizing your spiritual vitality and causing you potentially to fall away, to drift away from God and from nearness to Him. I, I don't agree with everything that John Piper says. He's an American pastor, if you don't know him. But I agree with a lot of what he says. And he was interviewed a couple of years ago around what, what he thought of the series Game of Thrones. And uh, John Piper's he's a mad cat. He really, he doesn't have a TV. So it was a random kind of question. It's like, are you going to watch it on your phone? Because he doesn't even have a TV in his house. Like, he's old school like that. Um, he said, I've got much better things to do than watch TV. Uh, and he said, even if I did have a TV, I wouldn't watch it. Because what I've heard about that program, that series, is not going to help me in greater holiness. It's not going to draw me closer to God. If anything, it's going to aid me falling away from him. And so why would I have any indulgence of that? That's basically his answer. And I haven't watched Game of Thrones. And if you have, I'm not picking on you. And I don't want you to feel like a second-class citizen uh, if you have. I don't even know. But I've read a bit about it. And that's why I then didn't 
uh, watch it. Because as I understood it, some of it was like essentially like soft porn that you were watching. And I think we don't talk about this stuff enough in church. And without us being legalistic, I want to press your buttons on a few things. I want to encourage you with this test. When we were in youth ministry, uh, they used to always say this. If Jesus would be on the couch next to you, would you still be watching that? And it's a great, I mean, you can, it can go sideways, but it's a great starting point. What, 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 do, you, what do you think of what they're doing on the, on the t- Suddenly, all the joy of you watching is like, no, you're just awkward. It's just like, don't look at Jesus. Don't look at Jesus. I was on the TV. I was on the TV. Because just, you would feel such a sense of shame. If you feel that shame, that's, 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 <laughs> that's it. That's the Holy Spirit saying, what the hell are you doing watching that? If you can't watch it and enjoy it with Jesus. What? You see, when Jesus sits next to me, when we watch the All Blacks, I know he's shouting for the Springboks. <laughs> There's no shame. I can watch it full on kind of thing. He, he's definitely not on their side. Definitely not. Especially Australia. That's not even... Yeah. If he can't sit next to you and watch it with you, you probably have no business watching it. If you are feeling a sense of shame as he looks over your shoulder while you're scrolling, you should probably not be scrolling through whatever you're scrolling where ours are feasting. And when Jesus talks about cutting off and cutting out and gouging out, I think the modern day application of this for some of us in the room is that you end subscriptions to things that you delete apps that you have, that you stop watching series that you're watching, that you have mechanisms and filters built into your life to stop you sinning in this way. You take the drastic action that's necessary so that you can, in Jesus' words, that you can enter life. I, I think that it remains one of the most cancerous things in the life of a believer, to entertain pornography in your life. And we don't talk about pornography much in church. I don't know if many churches do talk about porn, but we're talking about it this morning. And I'm not just talking to the guys. I'm talking to everyone. And I'm not picking on anyone. All I'm saying is that if you are entertaining or indulging in pornography, you need to hear Jesus' words like a sledgehammer into your life this morning. That if you carry on with that stuff, All you're doing is hardening your heart, callousing your soul, and you're in danger of falling away and being thrown into hell. That's what he said, not what I said. I'm just delivering the letter. I didn't write this stuff. You need to take drastic action. told the guys at eight, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, sin is not a pet to be tamed. It's a beast to be slain. Don't think, this is how people fall away. Okay, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I know lots of people who've been in church, and they're not in church anymore. They look like they were following Jesus, and then they're not. And if you look back down their life, I don't know how it all happened with everyone, but this is often how it happens. You entertain things in your life that have no business being there. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You feel that sense of shame, guilt, conviction, and you do nothing about it. You think it's not such a big deal. This, no one knows about it. No one knows it. This is a secret area of my life. No one knows about this. It's okay. I've got it under control. And so you carry on. 
and the Holy Spirit in conviction, you just ignore it again. And you just keep dumbing down the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And what you do is put layer upon layer of hardening over your heart and your spiritual sensibilities and sensitivities. And eventually you end up with what the Bible talks about, a hard-heartedness, where you can no longer sense the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. That's how people fall away. You're not going to fall away from, from following God uh, in one moment. It just doesn't happen, guys. It happens over a period of time where we are lax, where you think sin's not such a big deal, that you can manage it, that this pet can be tamed instead of treating sin like a beast that needs slain. And asking for God's help, not drowning in shame, not being crippled by guilt, realizing that of course you're going to sin. Of course you're going to sin. That's why you need a savior. That's why you need to beat the gospel into your head again and again. That's why you need to come to church so that when you forget the gospel, somebody else can remind you of it. You can confess your sins to one another. That's what the Bible says we should do. And pray for one another that we may be restored together to God. And then we go again. And we encourage one another. We provoke each other. We pray for each other. We strengthen each other. And then you fall down again and you need somebody else to help you and gospel you again. And that's what it means to walk as a Christian. And you keep a, a heart that's soft to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. So when I mention pornography and you know that you're looking at stuff that you shouldn't, there's things you take action on those things. Like I'm saying, if you're feeling the heat today, just shoot up a little prayer to God to thank you, God, that I'm feeling heat this morning. Thank you, Lord. It means you haven't given up on me yet. I've got another go. You're still, you're, you're still working in me. But this is how it works. You have to act on that. The convicting work is meant to lead to confession, which leads to repentance and renewed sense of forgiveness and cleansing. God didn't design you would walk through life weighed down with a million weights of shame and guilt and regret all over your life. He designed you to run in freedom and in joy and life, not mired down in your sin. You are going to sin. We are going to sin. And how we deal with that makes all the difference in the world, guys. And Jesus' words, we don't want to just let them slide. We want to weigh them because it's such a severe warning. He says, look, don't entertain those things in your life if they cause you to sin. Because what they may do is they may cause you to fall away from God. And the ultimate end of you falling away is that you end up in hell. He says you are thrown into hell. That word hell is Gehenna. Gehenna. The imagery. These guys are listening to Jesus, these disciples. They know exactly what he's talking about. Gehenna was a valley. The Kidron Valley just outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem is hills all around it. There's a valley just outside Jerusalem. Where in the Old Testament, we don't have time to go and read it now, under a couple of wicked kings, they, they sacrificed babies there to the foreign gods. They burnt babies in this valley, sacrificed them to these gods. And God raised up a couple of righteous kings who put an end to that. And in order to stop the people being able to do that, they turned that valley into a massive garbage dump. All the rubbish from the city would end up there, and they just kept the fire burning. It would just be basically burning this garbage all the time. That just says the fire will never die, and the, and the worm will never die. The place is infested with worms and stuff, eating all the rubbish and stuff. It's just not a great place. That's where you'll get thrown into, and the suffering will never end. Jesus speaks more about hell than he does about heaven directly in the Scriptures. It's something we should take note of. And we don't have a full picture of what hell is like. But some of what we see in what Jesus is saying here is that it's a place of 
ongoing suffering. And I don't know about the fires. It says their worm never dies. The fire never goes out. It's just a place where people will suffer forever. It's outside the city. It's outside. It's the valley. It's outside the presence of God. That's partly what causes all the suffering for all eternity there. And he says, make sure that you don't fall away and end up there. It's a sober warning. It's a sober warning for those of us who follow Christ. It's a sober warning for those who don't follow Christ yet to say, hey, you know, that's the trajectory that you're on. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's, that's where you're going to end up. You're going to get your heart's desire to not have God. You will be without him forever, and it will be a place of suffering where, and that will never end. Let's talk about these warning passages. How do we, how do we deal with them? Uh, what do you do with them? Because it's possible even reading this to just feel that sense of like, oh my gosh, like I'm guilty of all of this. Like, am I too far gone? Uh, ah, let me put it this way. There's this. If you read through Hebrews, you're going to find more of these kind of warning passages. They're even almost stronger in Hebrews. How do you deal with them? I think this is how it works is that the warning passages are a means of grace to us to stop you from falling away. They're not necessarily describing uh, something actually happening. As you, here's a real-time example, as you hear this this morning, and as you're engaged in something that potentially could have the effect of you falling away because you don't deal with it, God's grace comes to you through this warning passage. You turn your heart back to him. You receive grace again. You put to death some of the stuff that you've been doing and you commit with new grace and new power to walk in different ways. God has kept you. God has kept you from grace and, and from falling away through a warning passage. It doesn't mean that we should take it apart and make it overly literal. You know, we're all losing our hands and our feet and our eyes. We're tossing oaks in Emerentia Dam. It doesn't mean that um, it's warning us. It's saying, hey, and as we heed the warnings, God's grace is at work in our lives. That's, that's, I think, they should produce in us reflection that leads to repentance. That's how God's put them in there. Some of them sound super harsh, and you think like, Phew, you know, I don't know if I'm coming back to this church. You know, next week is on divorce, so it's much easier. Um, but... This, this is how God works because not, it's, the Bible and life is not just skipping through daisies. There's so much encouragement in the scriptures, but sometimes there's passages that you read them and it feels like you've been punched in the face. And you know what? Praise the Lord because sometimes you need to get punched in the face. No, because if you didn't get punched in the face, you'd keep walking in that direction or you're just like in your slumber. You need a, you need a smack. <laughs> this is not in my notes. Oh. Are we streaming the service? We're going to have to edit this. Like, you need a spiritual wake-up. That's because we're so sluggish. The culture has discipled us into thinking sin is just something you manage. It's not such a big deal. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon on personal holiness and on striving for greater personal holiness. It's almost like as a generation, like, your, our parents and like old school churches, they were big on holiness. Like it was a big deal for them. But now like we understand a bit more of Jesus and like Jesus is more about grace and love and like he loves everyone and welcome, come to him. He'll just give you a big hug and everything's like sweet, like he's died for your sin. And like we like, we preach that a lot. And somehow we've lost this, what you see so clearly in the scriptures, 
the, the, the encouragement and the warnings towards per individual personal holiness, taking seriously how you live in your relationship with God, with others, so that you avoid disastrous outcomes of falling away from the living God. And I would say that passages like this are a great gift to us. What is the last thing we see? This is the encouragement in this passage. And it's, it's strange wording. If you have a look at verse, um, from verse 49, a simple reading of this, you should be scratching your head thinking, what on earth does this mean? Because I did until I went and read, but not all the Bible is easy to understand. Uh, it says, for everyone will be salted with fire. And he's not talking about brine. Um, yeah. Uh, some people think that, he, that he's talking about hell. Like not, not everyone's going to get salted with fire. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it means that. Um, verse 50, salt is good. What if the salt should lose its flavor? How can you season it? Have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with one another. What is he saying? I think there's three things. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I want us to spend time reflecting on the main bulk of what we've been looking at here. Three things here. Um, I think he's talking about obedience and consecration, like giving your life to God in a meaningful way. Whenever you see this is a good uh, interpretive principle for those of you reading the Bible on your own and you want to take it seriously and you come to something like this, you're like, I have no idea what this means. Go and allow the Bible to help you. Interpret, go look, where else? Do a word search. I mean, these days you can find anything in a Bible online. There's so many tools that you don't need to be, go to Bible college. You can figure this stuff out for yourself. Go and find a word search. Where do salt and fire appear together in the Bible? Where? Let me find another verse where there's salt and fire. That's a good, oh, okay. And you know what it will lead you to? Leviticus chapter 2. Is it here? You've already been reading it. Leviticus is out, like God outlining the five different sacrifices that the people would make. Four of them involve animals. One is a grain offering. So it's not an animal, but the grain offering gets salt added to it. There it is. You shall season all your grain offering with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. What is this? This grain offering is the offering of consecration. You know what I mean? That's you recommitting, giving your life to God. And here's how it works. You, you give the grain offering, and what do you put on it? You put on the salt. The salt is the sign of a covenant of God, the covenant of God. So you, there's your offering, and the, the covenant of God, the salt, that's what keeps you. You need the covenant keeping God to keep your commitment to God. So you can say, God, I'm all yours. You need some salt. You need the salt of the covenant to keep you because left to yourself, you'll wander. That's why you keep giving the grain offering. This should trigger in your mind a New Testament reference. You go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says what? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're not giving grain with salt anymore. Now it's us, all of us. Some of you may know Brian Helsby, famous youth worker involved with Youth for Christ for many years. Every time he used to preach on this passage, he would say the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. 
<laughs> and um, it's a great picture, isn't it? It's like, Lord, I'm yours. <laughs> you know, it's like Sunday, we're so juiced for God. We're like, yeah, I can do this thing. I'm a Christian. Like, it's amazing. Like Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, you know, you've like, <laughs> you've, you've slithered. There's a great word. You've slithered off the altar. You're worshiping at the foot of ball. I'm just kidding. Like, but no, you, you've, you've given your heart away to something else. That's how we are. We are, we are idolaters in our very nature. We find a million things other than God to worship. That's why the commitment, the encouragement from Paul to Romans is that in view of God's mercies, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Do this again and again and again. But that's salted with fire. It is a, it's a consecrated call to say, hey, and, and it's connected to this holy living. It's, we're not here to play games. We're here to give ourselves, heart and soul, all of us, to God. God's not interested in you giving him your heart. That's, that's not a thing. You don't give Jesus your heart. He's not interested in your heart. He, he wants the whole package. You, the better way the Bible describes it is you submit to the lordship of Christ. That you recognize that he, you recognize that he is Lord of your life. You come under his control, his authority, his reign, his rule in every part of your life. Everything you do, everywhere you go, everything you see, under his control, his authority. It's not just we give him our heart, our warm and fuzzies, some of our affection. We are living sacrifices. The second thing, so obedience, the second thing is the purity. Jesus says, how can salt lose its flavor? Salt doesn't lose its flavor, does it? Salt, salt's one of those cool things that doesn't expire. You know, I never pick up the salt thinking, ooh, yeah, I don't need to check this. You know, I don't think it has an expiry date on it. It's not like this, you know, that stuff in your fridge that sits in the back, in the back row there. Uh, <laughs> you're not 100% sure. You only ever use it on the odd occasion. You know, some random person comes around and asks, do you have, my mother-in-law came around a couple of weeks ago, asked for mustard, which we don't eat mustard. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure we've got mustard. I go into the fridge. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know, like looking there in rosette, there's mustard. I'm like taking it. I can't even read the expiry date on the mustard. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good son-in-law. I'm not dishing out expired mustard. She says, no, it never expires. I'm like, suit yourself. You know, good luck with that, you know. We've all got that stuff in our fridge or in your medicine drawer. You know how you got sick with something and you needed that and then you didn't finish it, just lob it in the, the drawer that shall not be named. And then you're like, go, go a few years later. Oh, I should be, oh no, oh no, wait. You know, you're going to have to take other medicine to fix that medicine if you put that stuff in your body. Like, I'm getting distracted here. Uh, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Our salt, the salt they used then was different to the salt we use now. The salt they used then was infused and mixed with gypsum and other stuff, and it had impurities in it. And what would sometimes happen is that you could end up with so much impurity in the salt that you thought you were using salt, but it wasn't actually having the effect that you thought it would, both in preserving meat and adding flavor. You, you thought you were putting salt on, but because it had been so diluted, it was so impure, it didn't have the effect that salt needed to have. And Jesus is saying, he's, he's calling them to a greater purity of living through watching what they do. Saying, hey, don't let the salt lose its saltiness. Stay pure. Stay pure. You don't want to lose your, 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 lose your effect. Because the last thing he talks about is um, have salt amongst you and be at peace with another. How do you have salt amongst you? How do you? As a congregation, how do we have salt amongst each other? Well, salt has the effect of uh, preserving uh, meat, and, and bringing out flavor. And, and I think very simply, 
we're called to be involved in each other's lives, that we preserve one another, we, 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 we encourage, we keep each other from sin. That's what it means to be part of a healthy Christian community, is that you have other people praying for you, watching your back, and helping you. That when you confess your sin to them, they don't kick you to the curb, they don't banish you, they gospel you. They say, okay, I'm a, I'm a fellow sinner, let's go to Jesus. You need reminding that you're not off the team, that there's grace that's sufficient for you, that there's power to enable you. We, we, we take people to Jesus together. That's what it means to preserve one another and to bring out a richness of the flavor of the gospel in this community. And my prayer is that we would hear Jesus' words and be people like that. I want us to end by um, giving you time to reflect on your own as I pray for you. I, I think um, messages like this are, are sometimes difficult to hear. There's been a lot in this. And I don't want you to be, I don't want you to leave weighed down with an abundance of words. I want you to leave knowing that you are right with God and that you've responded to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in your life. For some people, maybe there's nothing this morning. And like I said, if that's you, maybe you're not mad and so maybe you're just okay. And like you have done this hard work with God and that's okay. You don't know. Have to feel like, oh, maybe I don't belong to the team. I didn't feel anything. There's nothing that I need to confess. But for others, there will be things that the Holy Spirit's poking around in your life to say, hey, stop doing that. Leave those things alone. Get out of that. And I, and I want to encourage you. We had a great time sharing this ministry at the end of the first service. There's such power in sharing those things with somebody else. You have to be wise who you share it with. But I want to encourage you, sin thrives in secrecy and in darkness. And guys, don't think, don't think that you can manage it on your own. That you just need a bit more, okay, I'm encouraged today, I need more of the Holy Spirit's power, I've got this. You, you need, you're wired for community. You're wired for God's grace to come into your life through other people. And I would encourage you to find somebody to gospel you, to pray with you, to take you to Jesus to pronounce his forgiveness over your life again and to help you, to help you and preserve you from sin, to make commitments, to say, like, I'm deleting this app. See that thing on my phone again? Give me a hard time because that thing leads me down paths where there's no holiness for me. It enslaves me. It's about taking action because not in a law-bound kind of a way, but because that's, it's the day-to-day, moment-by-moment stuff. That's where grace comes to us. And that's how we make progress as believers. Take seriously Jesus' warnings. I don't want any of us to fall away. I don't want any of us to fall away. And so I'm pleading with you to listen to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in your life and to take the action in the power and the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for us and lead us in prayer. And I encourage you to just, just now sit with the Lord and ask him to search our hearts to help us, to show us the areas where we need his grace. Father, thank you that you know us. You know us more fully than we know ourselves. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit um, 
who is able to search our hearts and to reveal to us attitudes in our hearts, actions in our lives, thoughts, habits, addictions, areas of compromise, all of these things, you're, you're able to bring them to our mind. And as you, we, we pray for that work now, and as we, we pray that as you do that, you would, you would give us grace to receive these things. Thank, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the grace of the gospel that in you, Jesus, we are, we are forgiven. We are cleansed. We're made new. Thank you that there's more mercy in you than there is sin in us. We, we hold on to that with everything that we are. That you don't treat us as our sins deserve. You lavish grace upon grace that you are tender with us, you are gentle, yet you are firm. Sometimes you do arrest us. It almost feels like a crushing weight, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because you love us so much that you are unwilling to allow us to ruin ourselves and to live in ways that damage ourselves and defame your name and sin against you and others. And we pray this morning for the refining work of the Holy Spirit, for the help of the Holy Spirit to convict us and to draw us back to you in repentance and in faith. We pray that we would all be able to leave this place this morning with the lightness and the joy and the freedom and the life of God in us, having confessed our sin, having been cleansed and made new again, being reconciled to you as it were. And give us grace as we go forward. Father, give us wisdom to know what things in our lives need to be cut out and dealt with swiftly. Give us courage to do that. We so want to live lives of holiness because we know that that's where life and joy is. We don't want to live lives weighed down with shame and guilt and regret. And so we pray for your help now. Each one of us in the different areas of our lives, please speak to us. Please grace us. Please strengthen us for our good and for your glory we ask it.